We're excited. We're excited for Christmas. We're, we're excited to be here together, gathered this morning, uh, and to continue on in our Advent series, Love Came Down. The fact that we are uh, spending some time in Christmas, obviously, it happens every December, right? Uh, but doing so, coming out of a series in the Beatitudes, I think is absolutely beautiful. I think there's a, a, a timeliness to that uh, that is uh, just wonderful when you really think about it. In the fall, we spent some time in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus shared uh, what we call the Beatitudes. It was a series called Read the Red, and it's this series uh, where we, we explain this idea of the already and the not yet, right? Jesus establishes the kingdom of God by his arrival uh, into our world and into uh, this place that we call home and establishes the kingdom of God. However, it will not be fully realized until his second coming. Now, during Advent, I would argue that this is a season where we should be keenly aware of that reality, right? We should be keenly aware of that reality, and if we're not, I'm going to strongly suggest that we should be, right? Advent, Advent is a, is a, is a time, it, well, let's say this, it literally means both arrival and coming, okay? Advent simultaneously means the arrival and the coming, So we're looking back, we're looking at the birth of the Messiah, we're celebrating the promise of God being fulfilled through the birth of Jesus Christ, but we're also looking forward to his second coming, when the kingdom of God in all of its glory will be fully realized. So we live in the middle of this beautifully complex tension, the already, the not yet, where we're looking back, but we're also looking forward. It's a bit like driving, if you will. It's kind of a loose metaphor, but stay with me. If you were to drive and and try to get somewhere by only looking through the rearview mirror, unless you're backing up the whole way there, it's not going to go well, is it? No. If you try to get somewhere and you don't take any time to glance at the side view mirrors to your left and to your right, you're going to be completely unaware of your surroundings. If you try to get somewhere and you don't take time to actually look through the windshield, right, and to see where you're going, chances are you may get there, but not very safely, right? There's this this delicate dance of, of looking back, looking to the sides, and then looking forward that we all do kind of subconsciously when we're going from point A to point B. Right? I, I, I notice this more often than not when I'm driving around in my camper because my rearview mirror, I just see this big thing behind me. Right? And it's, it's more difficult to get where I'm going when I'm not aware of what I, what's behind me. But if I was to, if I was to only look back, I, I wouldn't get there. And, and you kind of see the point. It's this dance. And, and as followers of Christ, we're called to do this in, in every moment of our lives where we need to be looking back, but we can't get stuck there. We can't just look in our present reality, but we also need to look forward to what is coming. And that's a responsibility we have of living in the already and the not yet, to, to look back, but to also look forward in a, in a hopeful anticipation, if you will, of what is yet to be. And we do this living lives that are filled with hope and with love, with joy, and with peace. And so for a little bit this morning, I want to talk about one of those, hope. We're going to talk about about hope specifically. So we're going to turn to two passages of Scripture this morning, Luke chapter 2 
as well as Romans chapter 15. So the page numbers and the references are on the screen here. Luke 2, uh, that's page 851 in the Bible that you find in your seat, and Romans 15, page 946. Uh, while you're turning there and bookmarking those, Luke is one of the four Gospels. And, and when we say Gospel, we mean good news. And I think sometimes we, we kind of skip over that. Yeah, it's one of the Gospels, but we forget about what it is. It's the, the pronouncement of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that announcement, and that is good news, and we need to remember that. It's found in the New Testament, the second half uh, of the Bible. And it's an account of the life of Jesus Christ. That's what the Gospel is. So that's Luke. And then Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, to his dear friends, a church in Rome. And many scholars, uh, theologians, uh, pastors would argue that it's actually like the crown jewel of his writing. Right? He, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, Paul. Um, however, the book of Romans is just masterfully written. All of it is. I'm not suggesting that it's not. However, what we see there is this bedrock, this foundation of theology on the first half. But then there's this turning point where it goes from talking about theology and talking about all the truths of salvation and God and who he is and what he's done. And he turns and talks about how we can actually live it out in the second half, which is where we're going to be today. So if you are following along, I'd encourage you to bookmark uh, Romans because we're going to be in Luke first. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, just want to throw this out there, uh, please take one of the ones uh, that you'll see kind of scattered throughout. They are our gift to you. It's our hope. It's our prayer. Uh, and I mean this with all sincerity, that God reveals himself to you through the power of his word. And that is just, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful gift. And so if you do not have one or you know someone that needs one, um, Man, we're not going to have any Bibles left, right? But if you know someone that needs one, just take it. And it's, it's our gift. It's your gift to them, okay? Let that be a gift this Christmas. So that being said, here's the big idea for this morning. If you remember one thing and one thing only, it'd be this. It's a profoundly simple thought. However, one I think we need to be reminded of quite frequently. True hope is found solely in the promises of God fulfilled. True hope is found solely in the promises of God fulfilled. So we'll come back more to that in a bit. When I was a child, I, I love telling stories with you because I think they're somewhat relevant, but uh, I, I remember as a kid on Christmas Eve, um, as a young boy, there's a little bit of an emphasis on presents. Would you all agree? Right? Like, that's hard. Like, I, I just came from Christmas, and they're talking about Jesus, and I'm thinking about gifts, right? And that's, I'm not going to lie to you, that was, that, and you've probably been there. But I, I was excited because on our way home from church, uh, the first time on Christmas Eve, we would get home and our parents, my mom and dad, would allow my sisters and I to open a gift every year, right? And some of you may have a tradition like this, and, and then we would open the gift and then we'd relax for a little while and then we would go back to church for a midnight service. Um, but uh, we would go through and I would go through the bottom of the tree and underneath and I'd be looking and I'd be shaking and I'd be weighing the gifts out, right? And I'd be looking for the ones that are addressed to, or, uh, to me and, and I'd be trying to figure out, like I need to pick the most perfect gift, right? This is something I'd been looking forward to for days and weeks and months, for a whole year even, right? I've, I've been waiting for this moment because this gift has, there's so much hope in it. I have so much hope in what this is going to be. And I finally get to the point where I pick out the gift, right? And mom and dad say, all right, you can open it. And so I just, I go through and, and I rip it out and I'm so excited because this is going to set the stage for what's yet to come. And, Pajamas. Newman. <laughs> right? Like, 
pajamas. Like Ralphie in a Christmas story, <laughs> right? Now, no offense to all the moms and grandmas out there. <laughs> this does not excite a little boy at all. My hope for Christmas was ruined, all right? I had put so much hope into that gift. I put so much hope into that gift. And what's interesting, you guys, is as I look back, and I really thought, 100% truthful here, that I actually picked the gift that I was going to open. I didn't. Like, it was a force, right? Because my sister's got matching pajamas. What are the odds, right? And here's the deal. When you're one of three and two of them are girls, you're getting pajamas that are a little more girly than boy right? Boy-y, I don't know, right? And, um, and like, I thought, like, I had something to do with it. I didn't. I, I, it was pajamas every year. It, it was pajamas every year. And I lost my note. I have no idea where I am. Um, but there's, there's a point to all this. Stay with me. All right? It's, it's clear to me that I didn't, I didn't pick it out. But here's what I do know. As a young boy, pajamas were a major letdown. This is not a good gift. Parents, if this is what you're thinking about for your kids for Christmas, take my advice. Get something else. Like, this is good. All right? Be excited for it. Like, and, and maybe have... Actually, that, I shouldn't have said that. Like, it's a good gift. But just think about it from the lens of a little boy for a moment, right? <laughs> like it's not an exciting gift. There was this longing, there was this anticipation for what it could be, only for me to be disappointed by what it actually was. And here's the thing. I was disappointed for one reason, one reason only. I had a grossly misplaced hope. I had a misplaced I put my hope in something that could be rather than what would be. You see, we all have a natural tendency to put our hope in things. We have a natural tendency to put our hope in people. Only, if we're brutally honest, to inevitably be let down. We have a natural tendency to put our hope in people or things that when we're honest, will inevitably disappoint us. So what is hope? What is hope? Hope's a word that we use often in our day-to-day -day language, right? It's in, our, it's in our vernacular. We just, we kind of throw it around like it's not significant. And it's used a lot in scripture. It's actually mentioned 200 times throughout the Old and New Testament. The Greek word that we're going to be looking at today um, in the passage that we read for hope is el peace, el peace, and it just means anticipation. El peace, anticipation. But as I was, I was diving into this and I was going through and looking at the word hope and how it's used in scripture, what I found was that I think hope would be more, uh, more surmised, if you will, in its context of the scriptures and how it's used throughout the Bible as a confident and enthusiastic expectation of what will be. Now, I want you to make note of this. A confident and enthusiastic expectation of what will be. Not just a confident expectation of what could be. Okay, there's, there's a nuance there, but it's extremely important. A confident and enthusiastic expectation of what 
will be. We all have confident expectations, but that doesn't make them hopeful. Over time, I began to develop a confident expectation of pajamas on Christmas Eve, right? I, I, first year, I was like, man, I blew it, <laughs> right? I had all these gifts to choose from. I got this. Second year, pajamas. Again, what are the odds? Third year, pajamas. All right. <laughs> right? And you start to realize. But here's the thing. I, it wasn't a hopeful expectation at that point because there was no enthusiasm. There was no joy in it for me. It was just an expectation, a misplaced one at best. I've placed my hope in things to be let down. I've placed my hope, like many of you, in people only to be let down. I've become confident in that. That is not hope. Confidence becomes hope when a positive attitude about what is to be is present. Somewhere along the line, hope for many of us has become based solely off of probabilities. Our hope is based off of what makes sense to us. Our hope is based off of things that we can measure. For example, if I invest a certain amount in my 401k or IRA or whatever it is, uh, weekly, monthly, and annually, and I make a, uh, an investment into that maybe uh, once a year from a tax refund or whatever it may be, you have this confidence, right? Uh, or hopeful confidence, or a conf- uh, an expectation, if you will, that when you get to a certain age, you're going to have a certain amount in that account, right? This is something we're all thinking about. Or maybe it's different. Maybe it's this idea that, all right, if I put in the right amount of time at work, I show up early every day and I'm the first one to get there and then I'm the last one to leave and I'm working really hard and I'm killing it on all the projects that are thrown my way and I'm taking on more than I should and all these things. You are, you're excited for the opportunity for the promotion that should be yours come spring, right? Like you've put all the work in. You're working really, really hard. This is, you deserve this. You earn this, right? You put your hope in that. Like it's, it's based on probabilities, or then the end of the year comes and you're really excited because you know there's, it's been a good year, you've been killing it, you made the company a ton of money and you're excited for the end of the year bonus, right? So excited. In fact, you plan all these things about what you're gonna do with that bonus only to find out you get enrolled in the Jelly of the Month Club. All right, can I get an amen? All right, a misplaced hope based on probabilities of the things of which we see rather than solely in the promises of God that are to be fulfilled in our lives. You see, it's because of the gospel, it's because of what Christ has already done for us that we actually can shift our hope from probabilities to the promises of God, which at this point we really only have foretastes of. Right? Going back to our series in the Beatitudes, we, we started to get a glimpse, we started to get a little taste of what the kingdom of heaven would be like, but it's yet not fully realized. Hope is a confident and enthusiastic expectation of what will be that stems solely from the promises of God being fulfilled. So with that, what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to turn to Luke chapter 2, where we're going to take a look at a, a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon. Oh, that's Romans. There we go. Luke chapter 2. It's a lengthy passage, so I'm not going to have the whole thing on the screen. I'd encourage you to follow along if you can. It says this, Luke 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Remember that line. The Holy Spirit was upon him, 
and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what is being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him, and as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, I love this passage. There is so much in here. We could spend uh, an entire Christmas season unpacking the prophecies in this, in the, in the truths that we hear uh, as Simeon shares in, in the account here. Uh, but there's, for the sake of time, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about just two quick things here. We don't know a lot about Simeon. In fact, we, this is really all we hear of him. But what we do know about him is a couple of things. One is that he was filled with a confident and joyous expectation by the Spirit of God. Remember that first line, he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting. We don't know how the Spirit was revealed to him, but we know for sure that he was actively pursuing God. He was eagerly waiting. He didn't wait passively for what had been promised to him. You see, so many times we've put ourselves in this situation where we have this hope, but we wait passively for it and we retreat. We tend to go into hiding. He didn't wallow in his own age and think, man, I was promised this at such a young age and we don't necessarily know that, but I believe that to be true. There was this promise made to me. There was this, this thing that came over me and I believe that I was going to see the Messiah, that I was going to experience the salvation of God, but here I am and I'm older and it hasn't happened yet and we don't see him give up hope. We don't see that take place, but rather he pursued God daily, even when the promise of God wasn't fulfilled daily. Simon waits and does two things, actively listens and responds to, that, uh, to what he hears in obedience without delay. And that's so important for us to understand. Imagine for a second if Simeon waits. Imagine for a moment that he chooses to ponder what he heard from God, the prompting that was placed on his heart to go to the temple that day. What if Simeon waits? He misses the promise of God being fulfilled in his life. I love this passage for what it says, but I also love what it doesn't say. You may notice that we don't read about Simeon journaling for days and weeks on end about the prompting of the Holy Spirit that God placed on his life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that journaling is a bad thing. I am an avid journaler. I journal throughout the day, every single day. I, I recommend it. I think we should all do it. However, I think sometimes we can be paralyzed by it. You see, Simeon was an active listener, but he was also 
a, a quick responder to what God placed on his life. And as a result of that, he received the promises of God. I think sometimes we hear God and we want to respond, but we're not sure yet how. We're, we're journaling about what are the logical next steps. Was this really for God or was this my own ambition? Was this something that God is revealing to me? Should I do this? Should I step out in faith? Should I do this? Should I invest here? Should I, whatever it may be. But here's the deal. We, we don't respond because we're trying to discern it when, when reality is as followers of Christ, we need to trust that God is working in us and through us and we need to respond in obedience swiftly. Otherwise, we will miss the promises of God. We should journal, yes, but we cannot be paralyzed by it. Here's the thing. If you want God to reveal himself to you, you have to invite him into your home. You have to invite him into your place of work, your social spheres, your relationships, your marriage, all of it. We are called to be active followers of God, not just once or twice a month on Sunday, not just at Christmas, not just at Easter, every day, every day, active listening, active responding. We don't want to miss it. So what are some ways that we can live with a confident expectation in the same way that Simeon did? How can we live with a, with a hope, a hope that is rooted solely in the promises of God? For that, what I want to do is turn uh, to that second passage we're going to be looking at, which is Romans chapter 15, page 946, if you're following along. As I mentioned earlier, the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul lays out a, a bedrock of theology. He talks about our brokenness and our need for a savior. He talks about the salvation of God, and it is a gift that all of us are able to receive, how we are all rescued uh, through God and through Christ and, and him alone. He explains then in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, justification, sanctification, glorification, and adoption into his family. There's this uh, theology that's just being shared. It's mind-blowing. It's unbelievable. But then there's this shift that takes place in chapter 11, where it goes from being, excuse me, chapter 12, uh, where it goes from being uh, uh, theology to application and to how we actually live this out. And that's where we pick up. We're picking up at the very end in Romans chapter 15, uh, the, last, the last text that he shares before he closes his, uh, his letter. And this is what he reads, chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself, as the scriptures say. Uh, excuse me. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. We're called to serve. Verse 5, may God who gives you this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ, excuse me, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promise he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. 
That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, and then he goes on uh, to, to share something there. But we're going to skip down to verse 13. And, and it's important, this next verse that we're going to read, verse 13, is, is a, a benediction of sorts. It's as if Paul takes his pen as he's writing, and he places it down, and he breathes out these words, this, this prayer. And this is what he writes. He says, I pray, I pray the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with a confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's, that's my hope and my prayer for you, for us. And that could have been our sermon this morning. I could have just gotten up and read that one verse and been like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> but that's, that's our prayer. The NACB uh, shares that verse this way. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will be, excuse me, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What I love about this is, is Paul's, Paul's saying something. You're saying, may the God of hope, right? He's, He's declaring that at the very essence of God, he's not just the source of hope, but that his essence actually is hope. It's so profound. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. At the very essence of the Christmas story, is a hope being delivered to the people of Israel in the most unlikely of ways. Right? The Messiah being delivered, uh, excuse me, being birthed, a, a little baby boy, born in a manger because there was no room. His name, Emmanuel, God with us. It, it was the most unlikely of scenarios. If you were a betting person, you would not have bet on this. If you're a person whose hope is based solely on probability, it would not have been based on this. We have hope not because of probability, but because the promise of God was actually fulfilled through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, and he is fulfilling his promise to us through the transformation of our lives through his spirit. So as we close this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a look at three things that we can pull from this passage, chapter 15. The first is this. I mentioned it as we were reading through. If we want to unwrap Christmas hope, we need to be actively engaging and serving others in love. It is so, so easy for us to be consumed with us, particularly this time of year, to be consumed in giving, excuse me, in receiving, right? Even in our giving, sometimes it's meant really for us, right? Like I see this, I take my kids out Christmas, uh, Christmas shopping every year for their siblings, one at a time. I started with Emma, didn't know we were going to have four kids. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money. But here's the thing. I took Frankie out the other day to pick out gifts for his sisters. Apparently, they all want army men. All right? And Legos and, and like, like fighting stuff. Like he, he like, he's like, oh, yeah, they want this shoot gun. He, that's what he calls Nerf guns. They want a shoot gun. I'm like, no, they don't. Not even a little bit. All right? And, and so he was excited to get gifts for them. But those gifts that he wanted to give them were really meant to bring him joy. And that's a silly illustration, but let's think about it for a second. 
How many of us are trying to outdo the other person when we give? Don't really raise your hands. But if we're honest, right, like every year, Kate and I up each other and then we have to like check ourselves. We need to serve others in love. At the very essence of who we are is what we are called to do. Love God, love others. And the way we love is through service in an unselfish way. Serving in, uh, in a way that brings joy, not for ourselves, but for those around us. And I'm not suggesting that we cannot receive joy in giving, that we can't receive joy in serving others. However, that cannot be our primary motivation for it. God cares a lot more about your heart than what your hands are doing. A lot more. He can find anyone to do the task that you've been assigned. What he cares about is what's in here. Your hands will always follow the, convi- uh, the convictions, the beliefs, the values that are embedded deep down within your soul. Your hands will always follow that. That will always be something that's an overflow of what's in here. But you know what doesn't happen? Your heart doesn't follow what your hands do. Serving others in love in a way that brings joy to them and in serving others not only do we offer hope but we receive it because as we're doing it we're reminding ourselves of the hope that we receive through christ serve others in love number two we want to live in community i can't speak for all of you but i can be honest here about my own personal experience I can't imagine what my life would be like without all of you. I can't imagine what my life would be like without the community that I found as being a part of God's family. I've shared a lot of stories with you over the years. I've had a lot of difficult seasons of my life, a lot of loss, a lot of death, a lot of, a lot of stuff constant in all of it is that I was surrounded by people that love me and care for me. Going back 30 years, people that were that are in this room even now that spoke into my life in ways that had profound impact, in ways they'll never even begin to understand. You see, community it's where we're challenged. It's where we're encouraged. It's where we're loved. It's where we're sometimes affirmed, sometimes where we're corrected, it's where we're accepted, it's where we're forgiven. Community is where we're both reminded of and we experience Christ's love through our interaction with one another. Serve others in love, live in community, and the third thing, so simple, but yet something I think we often overlook is this. Unwrapping Christmas hope is one of the ways to do that is we need to believe in the promises of God. We can have hope for our future because of our trust and our belief in God. When we look back through the rearview mirror, rear mirror, we're reminded of what God has done for us. Right? We look back to the cross that through his love, he sent his son, love came down into our brokenness, into our messiness, into our junk to redeem us, to provide a way for us when there simply was no way. He wasn't content to leave us to figure out on our own, but rather to make a way, to make a way. And it's because of that that we can have a clear and confident 
enthusiastic expectation that greater things are yet to come. You see, I don't know your own individual story. I know some of them, but I don't know everyone in here. But what I do know is that for some, last night was darker than other nights. I know that you came in here with something heavy. Maybe you're wrapped up in addiction. Maybe you've been through a tremendous season, a season of, of just tremendous loss, unthinkable. Or maybe illness. Maybe you lost your job. Or you got some news that you weren't expecting and it's, it's kind of thrown you for a loop or wh- whatever it may be. I, I don't know. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning. But what I do know is that each and every single one of us, no matter what you walked in with, no matter how you got here, that each and every one of us could use a little hope this morning. And that true hope is found solely in the promises of God fulfilled. That we can have a confident and enthusiastic expectation, not of what could be, but of what will be. Because he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. It's going to take a while, but it's coming. And it is absolutely beautiful. And I can't wait to celebrate that with all of you in the kingdom of God. I'd love nothing more than for us as a church, for each and every one of us to commit to taking a next step this morning. We don't need a journal about it. Remember Simeon? He heard from God and he responded in obedience. And I'm not asking you to take out a next steps card and actually fill it down, but I'm asking you to, to make a conscious effort to say, you know what, I need to serve others more in love, not in selfishness. That I need to take a step into community. Maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to take place. Maybe there's some forgiveness that needs to be given. I don't know what it is, but it needs to happen, and it can happen because of what happened on the cross. We look back, it gives us a clear, enthusiastic picture of where we're going as we look through the windshield. Or maybe for you this morning, it's simply believing. It's simply believing that there is greater things yet to come. No matter where you find yourself this morning, we have a confident, enthusiastic expectation of what will be that is based solely in the promises of God. Don't be fooled this Christmas and place your hope in things that don't belong having our hope placed in. Like don't, don't, don't fool yourself. It's not about this. It's not about your job. It's not about your promotion. It's not about stuff. We can get so wrapped up in that. No pun. We can get really wrapped. That was funny. We can, really, we can get really wrapped up in that. But please don't. Please don't. I beg of you. Take some time. Take some time this morning, if you need to, after the gathering, as you get home this afternoon, and as you're sitting with your family. Think about ways that you can serve. Think about ways that you can engage in community. Think about ways that you can just step up your belief in God and the, in the promises that he's made to us that they will come true, that we can look forward to greater things because they are yet to come. That's the tension that we live in, the already and the not yet, but it's not yet because it is coming. It is coming. Amen? Amen.